Hello everyone, and welcome to the Makers and Mystics Artist Profile Series. I'm Stephen Roach, and this is episode 14. In this episode, I'm going to introduce you to a poet whose writings have had a lasting impact on my life. In fact, I return to his writings year after year, and each time I read his works, a new depth of meaning unfolds. This is the poet Rainer Maria Rilke. Rilke was born on December 4, 1875, in modern-day Prague. His birth name was René Karl Wilhelm Johann Joseph Maria Rilke. But later in life, under the influence of his lover and companion, Lou Andrea Salome, he changed his name from the feminine René to the more masculine-toned Germanic name Rainer. The feminine characteristics of his name may be attributed to his mother, who at the time of his birth was still immersed in grief over the loss of a baby daughter. His mother, so overcome with grief, attempted to relive experiences with her dead daughter by raising Rilke as a girl and dressing him in girl's clothing until he was six years old. Rilke's father, however, was a railroad official and a former cadet in the emperor's army. He was a stoic and uncommunicative man, stricken with his own grief over the loss of a failed military career. And it was him that chose to exchange Rilke's lace dresses for the starched uniforms of military school. Young Rilke was flung from the warped fantasies of his mother's pampering to the shadow of his father's failed dream a hyper-masculine and emotionally repressed environment where he was bullied and treated with scorn by the other boys. His father's intention was to train him to become an officer, as he had been an officer. Yet it was here in this lonely, friendless solitude where poetry became Rilke's refuge. He writes about how poetry was his only means of turning this terrible damnation into something of beauty. After five grueling years at the military school, Rilke's poor health and delicate nature forced him to leave. However, during his absence from home, his unhappy parents had filed for divorce and split up the family. Rilke then immersed himself in attending universities and grew in notoriety among the literary circles of his day as a gifted writer. He pursued degrees in law and philosophy, but was increasingly convinced that writing was his true calling in life, and for the rest of his days, he would pursue writing as the very meaning and substance of his existence. Convincing his father of his calling as a writer proved to be a more difficult matter. And in pursuing this life as a writer, he lost his family's support. He had to find the means of supporting himself now, and this led him to a turbulent and unsteady way of life. He pursued other forms of work, but his unshakable compulsion to write made it impossible for him to give himself to any other career. He sought out the sponsorship of patrons and took part-time jobs, working only enough to survive as he wrote and published his works in literary journals. Then, in 1897, Rilke took a two-month trip to Tuscany, 
where he spent his days gazing on the Italian Renaissance religious art. He was impacted by Botticelli and the frescoes of Fra Angelico. There is no other picture of heaven that could be as great and rich and gripping, Rilke said of Angelico's The Last Judgment. The devotion and purity within these works of art seem to have spurred a spiritual quest or an awakening in Rilke's heart. He had turned away from the conventional and superstitious forms of Christianity, which he had witnessed in his mother's Roman Catholicism. Yet the yearning to deeply connect with God grew within his heart until 1899, when he journeyed to Russia. It was here his own spiritual formation began to blossom. He wrote to a friend about how his experience of Russian spirituality gave him names for those most timid devoutnesses of his nature, which since childhood had been longing to enter his art. He said, Russia opened itself to me and granted me the brotherliness and the darkness of God, in whom alone there is community. God had broken in upon me, and for a long time I lived in the antechamber of his name on my knees. There is an indescribable discretion between us, and where nearness and penetration once were, new distances stretch forth. The comprehensible slips away, is transformed. Instead of possession, one learns relationship, and there arises a namelessness that must begin once more in our relations with God if we are to be complete and without evasion. The experience of feeling Him recedes behind an infinite delight in everything that can be felt. On his return from Russia, Rilke wrote 67 poems which took the form of conversations with God and comprised the collection titled The Book of Hours. Many of these poems came to him by inner dictations and flowed out of him through times of spontaneous inspiration. Rilke writes that he received words in the mornings and evenings that were powerful in nature and persistent in their coming. These poems are rich with Christian imagery and contemplations on relationship with God. Here is an excerpt from these writings. I'm too alone in the world, yet not alone enough to make each hour holy. I'm too small in the world, yet not small enough to be simply in your presence, like a thing, just as it is. I want to know my own will and to move with it. And I want, in the hushed moments when the nameless draws near, to be among the wise ones, or alone. I want to mirror your immensity. I want never to be too weak or too old to bear the heavy, lurching image of you. I want to unfold. Let no place in me hold itself closed, for where I am closed, I am false. I want to stay clear in your sight. One of the more influential collections of Rilke's writings is surprisingly not his poems, but a series of letters he wrote to a young aspiring poet named Franz Xavier Kappas. Kappas was a young man attending the same military school of Rilke's youth. And perhaps it was this circumstance that aroused Rilke's compassion for Kappas and led him to such a rich and lengthy correspondence with him. 
The letters are compiled in a book titled Letters to a Young Poet and have now influenced thousands of aspiring artists and writers. The letters cover a wide range of topics from the value of faith, the creative spirit, and the demands of living the life of an artist. And I'll leave you with this excerpt from Rilke's advice to young Kappas. You ask whether your poems are good. You send them to publishers. You compare them with other poems. You are disturbed when certain publishers reject your attempts. Well now, since you have given me permission to advise you, I suggest that you give all that up. You are looking outward and above all else, that you must not do now. No one can advise and help you, no one. There's only one way, go within, search for the cause, find the impetus that bids you write. Put it to this test, does it stretch out its roots in the deepest place of your heart? Can you avow that you would die if you were forbidden to write? Above all, in the most silent hour of your night, ask yourself this, must I write? Dig deep into yourself for a true answer. And if it should ring its assent, if you can confidently meet this serious question with a simple, I must, then build your life upon it. It has become your necessity. Your life in even the most mundane and least significant hour must become a sign, a testimony to this urge. For Rilke, art was a matter of life and death. It wasn't a casual pastime, but it was the offspring of something that gripped the heart so intensely that you could not ignore it or choose another path. He said later in the same letter, if your everyday life appears to be unworthy subject matter, do not complain to life, complain to yourself, lament that you are not poet enough to call up its wealth. For the creative artist, there is no poverty, nothing is insignificant or unimportant. He says, a piece of art is good if it is born of necessity. The impression that Rilke leaves with me is that the passion to pursue authentic art and the passion to pursue the presence of God are often one and the same. And our passion for pursuing God manifests in our resolve to pursue authenticity in art. And the reverse is also true, that through pursuing authenticity within our writing and in our art, we encounter the authenticity of God. I want to live my life from such a root of resolve that no other path or no other allurement can shake me from the unshakable core of the presence of God. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics Artist Profile Series. Research for this episode was conducted by Morgan Chin Yi. Music was provided by Aaron Strumpel. And this episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach. Tune in next week for another full episode interview 
and be sure to find us on Instagram and at makersandmystics.com. <laughs>